All right, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, if you'll take it. And we are going to end up in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. We're going to get there uh, by means of the book of Romans and the book of Matthew. But you go ahead and turn to uh, Galatians first. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all of those great things that this song just sung about. Lord, we pray that as we open your word and dive into it, Lord, we pray, or I pray for us, that we would always stand in amazement at the cross. Lord, that we would always uh, be so grateful for those things that you've accomplished at the cross. And Lord, I pray, uh, as Paul said in the book of Galatians, that we would boast only in the cross. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that you would feed your people today. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is going to be a little bit different. If you're familiar with uh, kind of the way that church calendars work, uh, normally this is uh, Palm Sunday. Well, this is Palm Sunday. It's not normally Palm Sunday. But normally you celebrate Palm Sunday. You usually have some sort of sermon that is geared around Jesus's, uh, what is, I believe, wrongly called the, the triumphal entry. I think that his second coming is the triumphal entry. The first entry is more of a lowly entry, but that's for another Sunday, right? And then we generally speak in whatever tradition or denomination background you come from. Usually on Thursday, the day that Jesus was uh, crucified on the cross, you have sometimes what's called a Monday Thursday service where you celebrate Jesus' death on the cross. And then you come back a couple days later on Easter Sunday and you have this great uh, resurrection Sunday and this excitement building. You all with me? Any of you come from backgrounds like that? And so as I was uh, thinking about and preparing for this morning, uh, I was going to go with, you know, some sort of traditional Palm Sunday message. And I was reading in the book of Galatians uh, and I found this verse uh, It's a verse I've heard before, uh, but it struck me a little bit different this time in my preparation in Galatians uh, chapter six, verse 14. Paul says this. And, and just to give you a little background on what Paul is doing, uh, Paul has had to build his case as being an apostle of Christ. Uh, for some time, right? Paul from the scriptures, we get that he was a relatively short guy, wasn't much to look at. He had been stoned and left for dead several times. And so by the end of his life, the, the guy's not a real attractive fellow, but he is all about the cross of Christ. And so he writes all of these great things. And so then Paul in justifying his ministry says this chapter six, verse 14, he says, but may it never be that I would boast Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this verse just floored me because I was thinking about all of the things that Paul had in his life that he could boast about. And he, he does a little bit in the book of 2 Corinthians. He talks about how he was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. He was trained by the best Pharisaical leader. He was uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was all of these things that set him apart as the Jewish law. And so he had tons of things to brag about. But at the end, he says... So be it that I would never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about some of the great things that happen around here. And I want to share with you um, somewhat of a testimony this morning. It's a, it's a little bit of uh, a testimony that I have, and it's a little bit of someone else's. Uh, we were together in this adventure. And so most of you know a young man in our area named Zach Everett. And give me a head nod if you know Zach Everett. Zach Everett's a boy who grew up here, uh, went to school here. Many of you consider him great family. Uh, but I want to talk to you about how I ran into Zach and how the Lord totally rocked Zach's world. Okay? And it's going to sound, 
I'm going to try not to make it sound like that. But you could, if you only, if you're in and out sleeping, you would think that I'm bragging at the beginning of this. But what I want to do is I want to tell you a fabulous story about Christ's redemptive work in somebody's life. And then I want to, at the end, give Christ all of the credit. And I hope you'll see how we did this. And so about two years ago, young man walks into our church, Zach, who I told you about, and he sits right there. He sits right in that seat where Emma is sitting right now. He and his girlfriend. And this young man, I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him. All I know is that this is the first young person since I've been preaching here that walked in. And he looks like he had walked in by accident. Right? And so the whole time I was preaching, I I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit that this young man, there was a reason that he was here. There was something that was building and building and building. And he was reaching out, coming to church for hope. And so, Zach, I found out where he lives, and I go to his house to visit him after he visits the church. And so I get a chance to go to his house, and he comes to the door, and I get to have just a normal conversation with him. Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm new here. It was great to see you. If there's ever anything I can do for you, let me know. End of the conversation. So a couple weeks go by, and I don't see Zach anymore. And so I start wondering, hey, man, I wonder, I wonder if I, did I lay that big of an egg in the sermon that the kid just stopped coming back? And so I'm driving up and down the road, and I remember when I followed up with him visiting that I remembered he drove a white extended cab Toyota Tacoma pickup truck, and I would see him here and there. And so I felt like one day the Lord was telling me, you need to follow up with this kid, you need to follow up with this kid, you need to follow up with this kid. And so I go to his house again. And so this is totally unprovoked except for by the Holy Spirit. And so I knock on the door again, nobody comes to the door. And I can't get up with him, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to touch base with that kid. And so I go to my car, and I write on the back of one of my business cards, I just write a quick note to him, sorry I missed you, leave it in his windshield. So a week or two goes by, and I just feel like the Lord is saying, follow up with this kid, follow up with this kid, and I can't find him. And I'm like, God, I'm trying. You ever have one, like God's telling you to do something and you're trying, but it's just not working out. And so I write down a note on the back of another business card, you know, Hey, uh, miss seeing you around anything we can do for you. Just let us know. And so I'm I'm having this conversation with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to do what you want me to do. I'm trying to live each day doing what you're calling me to do. I feel like he's a part of it, but to no avail. And then one day out of the blue, I get a phone call from Angie Walston. Angie calls me and she says, Hey, There's a young man. He's at my house right now. His name is Zach. And Zach doesn't think that life is worth living anymore. And we don't know what to tell him except for the only person he wants to talk to is you. And I was like, God, I I don't even know the kid. I have no idea who this boy is. And he wants to talk to me. And so I go to Angie's house. And Zach is there. And so... Uh, The Lord says to me, seemingly, he says, this is the moment that I've been leading you up towards. And I'm like, God, well, it sure doesn't seem like it. Like, I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. I just know that you've laid him on my heart. And so Zach begins to talk to us. And he said a bunch of things. And I began to ask him a bunch of questions. I just laid everything out on the table. I asked him, what are you into? Uh, What's going on in your life? How long has it been since you've been doing these things? And what I found out with is from Zach's admission. And I want you guys to know that I've touched base with Zach. And he's given me the green light to share this with you. So don't think that it's personal. Zach's exact words were, Pastor, you can share anything you want about what happened. Because it might help someone. And it might be something that someone needs to hear. 
And so all of this is a green light from him. And so I find out in talking to Zach that Zach has been addicted to heroin. And so my first thought is, wow, I'm not sure I've ever been in the room with someone who has openly admitted that they have a heroin addiction. Like, that was my first thought. And I was like, God, what in the world are you getting me into? And so I asked Zach. I said, okay, you, you, you don't feel like life is worth living anymore. You have a heroin addiction. I said, Zach, when was the last time you did heroin? And he said, this is probably about 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning we're talking. I said, Zach, when's the last time you did heroin? He said, this morning. I said, you're, you're high on heroin right now? And he said, yes, sir. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, sir. He said, I'm, I'm always high. And I was like, God, I grew up in a middle-class white family, and I thought they only did heroin in Hollywood and other places. I did not know that this is something that people I see on a regular basis battle with. And so I said, do you want to you get out of this mess that you're in? And he said, yes, sir. I said, are you willing to do anything it takes to get out of the mess that you're in? And he said, yes, sir, I'm ready. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to get in my car right now. And we're going to go to your house and we're going to get you a bag full of clothes. And you're going to move into my house. And Angie's jaw hit the floor. (laughs) And Zach's jaw hit the floor. And I said, when I tell my wife what I just said, her jaw is going to hit the floor too. And so, anyways, but, but listen, I knew it wouldn't hit the floor. Because this isn't the first time this thing had happened. In following the Lord, we've ended up opening our house up to all sorts of people. But here's this boy that the Lord has led us to, and he's told us that we needed to pursue, and we're going after him. And so I said, the boy wants to get out of it, that I don't see a way that he can go back where he came from now. I know that he can come with me, and he can stick with me for a week straight, and he can get clean. And so I told him, I said, listen, I said, I've got three kids I've got a house that's way too big for us, and we actually have a whole room in our house that doesn't have any purpose. Right now, it only houses all of our kids' toys. The room has a bathroom, and it has every single thing that you need. I said, so you come to my house, and you can lock yourself in this bedroom, and you can throw up all night, and you can stay in the hot shower all night, and you can do whatever it takes to get you off of heroin. And we're going to keep you fed. And we're going to keep you well. I said, and when you run out of hot water in the shower, give it 10 or 15 more minutes and get back in again. And there'll be more hot water. And I said, you can do that for as long as you need to get clean. And so that's what he did. He came over. Put himself in that room. And the boy got off of heroin. A day or two was rough. It happened to be a time that I was moving. I was moving from one house to another across town. I had, uh, I don't know if I had bought the house or not, but either way, I was packing up some things at my house and I thought to myself, I said, self, what do you do with a young man who's battling against heroin when you have to go to work? And so I thought, man, as the pastor of the church, what do I do? And I said, you know what? I can't go to work because I can't leave him at my house by himself. The boy's got to be with me. And if he comes with me to the office, he's going to be bored out of his mind. And and I just can't leave him alone. So I stayed home. And I got him to help me packing. So we did life together at my house. And he helped me with some things that I was doing while he was coming off of heroin. You getting me? And so then he's he's been clean for about two or three days. And we're watching TV at night. Uh, I'm in my chair, my wife's in her chair, and he's sitting on the couch, and it's about 10 o'clock at night. I don't even remember what we're watching, and my wife says, I'm hungry. Uh, any of your wives get hungry, like, 
right almost when it's time for bed. And so my wife says, I think I'm going to fix some French fries. And I said, French fries. Like you're going to heat up oil and make French fries. And she says, yep, I think that's what I'm going to do. I said, well, what if, what if me and Zach ran to food line and we got some ice cream instead? Like, can I pacify you with ice cream? And she said, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And so Zach and I, we jump in my car and uh, we go up to food line. And so it must have been about 930 because food line closes about 10. So we go to food line and we get uh, whatever kind of ice cream he wants. And we get whatever kind of ice cream that I know that my wife is going to want. And I'm like, man, everything's going to be great. I'm going to get to go to bed in just a few minutes. And so I'm having a somewhat spiritual conversation with Zach. Nothing groundbreaking, right? Just asking him a few questions and probing until we pull into my driveway and I can see in this big window in the living room, my wife's ready for some ice cream and Zach looks over me. This is a Saturday night. He looks over at me and he says, Pastor Bobby, I'm like, yeah, what's up, Zach? He says, I think I want to rededicate my life to Christ. And I look at him and I go like right now or like tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, you want to rededicate your life. And he says, I I think I want to do it right now. And so I pray with Zach in my driveway. Zach rededicates his life to Christ. And Zach begins pursuing Christ in a way that he hasn't in many, many years. And so fast forward a little while. A couple days go by. Uh, Actually, a week goes by. We baptize Zach. His whole family comes to church. Most of you guys remember when we baptized him. And then after we baptize him, Zach says, "I I think I'm doing better now. And he wants to go back home. And so I tell him, I said, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a real good idea. But listen, man, you're a grown man. You can do whatever you want to do. We're here for you. So he goes back home. And then he slips back into the same sort of addiction that he came out of. He did good for a little while. Then I didn't hear from Zach anymore. So I, I track Zach down again. And I said, Zach, uh, listen, anytime you need anything, you come to me and my family will help you through anything that you need. And so Zach moves back in and he does good for a little while and he ends up going to a place to uh, then he he ends up moving again and things don't go so well and anyways i don't hear from him for a little while and then about two three weeks later he calls me and he says hey pastor bobby i just finished up a seven-day detox course many of you don't know but you can go to a hosky uh, they have a detox place they'll they'll lock you in a building and you can come clean from whatever you want he says i just finished up i've got a rehab place that i want to go to will you take me there well Earlier in the story, I didn't tell you, I had already taken him to one rehab place and he only stayed about 24, 48 hours. Broke my heart. And so let me backtrack just a little bit. The, the second time that he came over, uh, my grandmother dies. And so he's, he's been clean for about three days. My grandmother dies and now we've got to do all of the funeral things. So I call the rehab place and I say, listen, please take him right now. Like, I'm going to be tied up. We don't have time to spend. I love this kid. Please take him now. So I drive him there early the next morning. They take him. That's when he only stays about 24, 48 hours. And then he goes back uh, and he falls back into the same slump that he was in. Anyways, then you fast forward for a little while. He gets clean for seven days in the detox unit. And he calls me and he says, Pastor Bobby, I really think I'm ready to go this time. Will you take me to Beaufort? I was like, I don't even know where Beaufort is. And so he says, well, it's down by the beach. And I said, well, sure, I'll drive you down there. So I drive him down there. And the whole time I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let this be in vain. Please let this young man get the sort of help that he needs. And so Zach goes down there. I drop him off at rehab. And the boy stays. 
I've never prayed for anybody as much as I've prayed for him to please stay. Lord, let the boy stay here and please get the help that he needs. Well, anyways, so through all of that, he gets clean and he gets discipled when he's there. And he starts reading his Bible and he starts growing closer to the Lord. And so finally, he's been down in Beaufort for about 90 days. And so I drive down to Beaufort and I said, well, what do you do for somebody who's been in rehab for 90 days? And I said, well, the I can go see him and I can take him out to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. And so I pick him up and I take him out to lunch. So I'm busting you out. We're going to go to lunch. We're just going to we're just going to rejoice about the great things that the Lord is doing in your life. And so we get get him out, get him to Buffalo Wild Wings. We're eating chicken wings and we're talking and like football's on like 50 TVs in Buffalo Wild Wings. And I'm like, man, this is where it's at. We need one of these in Windsor. And and, he, and I look at him and I go, man, how is how how are things different now? And he looks at me across from the table. Right, This young man's about 20 some odd years old. He looks at me across the table and he starts to tear up. And he says... Pastor Bobby, thank you. I said, man, I hadn't done anything. All I did was let you live in my house, and the Lord did all of this work in your life. And he said, uh, you don't understand. He said, I can't remember the last time that I was clean for 90 days. This is starting at about 14, 15 years old, up until you're in your low 20s. And now the boy has been clean for 90 days. And so to date, he's been clean nine or ten months. And the boy feels like the Lord is calling him into some sort of ministry from rehab. And so I've been asking him, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like trying to push him to like join the army or do or join the Navy. Do something to, to get you out there and away from all of this. Because I've told him the last thing that you want to do is come back home and do nothing. And so he's been pursuing all of these avenues and the Lord's just been shutting door after door after door for him to pursue some sort of career. And then the Lord, through his studies, is calling him into some sort of ministry vocationally, probably. And he thinks that the Lord is calling him to help other people who are addicts to come clean. And over and over and over again, he says things like this. Pastor Bobby, you don't understand out of all the things that I've ever been to reading my Bible helps me more than anything else. And so you may think, well, what in the world does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? And I think that half of you are probably stuck that I invited someone who was addicted to heroin to live in my house. And the other half of you think, well, you're just saying all of those things so that you can tell us what sort of godly things you do. And it's neither of those. It's this. I want you to see in the book of Galatians, it says this. He says, Paul says, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is where the rubber meets the road. People don't quit heroin. Heroin kills people. There was a young man uh, who died about two years ago from a heroin overdose. And there's been tons of kids who have died from heroin overdoses just since I've been here. I've seen so many kids die from heroin overdoses that I'm sick of going to kids' funerals because they're on drugs and dying. Like, I'm sick of it. Like, it it makes my my blood cringe. I have a fiancé of a family member that I went to. He died from a heroin overdose. This is all in the last two and a half years. I was so sick of kids dying that I took my son, who was seven or eight at the time, to a funeral of a teenager who had died. And as we walked by, you, you couldn't avoid going and seeing the casket. My son said, wow, he's really young. What happened? And I took my seven or eight-year-old son, 
And I said, that person got on drugs and now they're dead. And I told my seven or eight year old son, I said, if you do drugs too, they'll put you in a box and they'll put you in the ground also because they'll kill you. That's how sick of going to kids' funerals I was that have died. And you go, well, that's pretty heartless. No, I don't want my kids on heroin. And so listen, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we've got a fellow who goes to church here who works in law enforcement, works for the sheriff's department, and he works in the drug enforcement section of it. And so he runs across all sorts of drug addicts. There's two guys. One of them I coach soccer with. One of them comes here on occasion. And he told me, both of them have said, listen to this. When we start to talk to people who suffer with drug addictions, the main thing that, that is a breakthrough when, is when we tell them that, listen, we don't judge you for what you've done. Like, there's no judgment here. He said that people who get in all sorts of addictions suffer with shame so much that it prevents any sort of conversation from taking place. And so I think one of the things that was, excuse me, effective for Zach is that we didn't judge him. And those of you who grew up calling Zach your son also, you didn't judge him. That we, we openly loved him and took him in exactly like he was and we showed him the love of Christ. And then the cross changed his life in a way that nobody else can, in a way that programs can't change you, in a way that Dr. Phil can't change you, modern pop psychopsychology can't change you. He was changed from the inside out. All I did was let him stay at my house and pump him full of cigarettes so that he was doing something other than heroin. And you go, well, you shouldn't say that. Well, that's what we did. We loved him and we kept him smoking to get him through. And so listen to this. If you go over to the book of Romans, you go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 1 verse 8. This is one of the things that I keep, that I think keeps uh, people that are addicts, people that have any sort of sin problem in their life from turning around. And it's this. This is what, this is what aggravates them more, I think, than the addiction and the sin that they have. And this is in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Romans chapter 118 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And so I'm going to read that one more time because it was a mouthful. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so that means that when you're actively pursuing unrighteousness, okay, unrighteousness is anything that is opposed to the law of God. And so you take any of the Ten Commandments that you may be breaking, any of the the, the rules that, that God has set up for your benefit, any of those that, that you break, you're suppressing truth and you're pursuing unrighteousness. And it says this, the wrath of God is being revealed to those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because, verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. And so what this verse is saying, bottom line, is that people who practice sin and people who are crippled by addiction, whatever it is, they know that the wrath of God is against them. They know that what they're doing is an opposed to God's will and that the wrath of God is going to come down on them. You with me? And you say, well, what if they don't believe in God and all of this other mumbo-jumbo that people are saying? 
God's word says that they know that God exists because he's put it in them. And they are pursuing unrighteousness because they're rejecting him. Then you go over to, right now in Romans 1, it's easy to say, oh yeah, see, they're doing that. Look what they're doing. Then you go over to Romans chapter 3, a couple pages over. And Paul turns the table. And he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says... Well, if you thought you were free, listen to this. For all have sinned, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he said, see, no one pursues Christ and everyone is pursuing their own unrighteousness. And so you realize that we're all in the same boat and God's wrath is going to come upon all of us until you get to Romans chapter 3, verse 24. And then he says this. I'll start in 23 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. So you go, what in the world does that mean? Three big words that we just used. We use the word justified. We use the word redemption or redeemed. And then we use the word propitiation, right? Three big words, $5 words. You've been redeemed, or excuse me, you've been justified, redeemed because of God's propitiation. So what in the world does all this mean? All of this is the reason that over in the book of Galatians, Paul says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the Palm Sunday weekend, and, and we should be celebrating God's propitiation. You go, well, I've never used that word before. I don't understand it. I wish you'd just explain it. Romans chapter 3 says, or Romans chapter 1 says that God's wrath is upon everyone. Like it's, it's getting ready to come on everyone. Jesus Christ on the cross was God's propitiation for you. Propitiation is a sacrifice that takes away wrath. And so what this means is that God's wrath was ready to come down on you and I and everyone else who has sinned. Right? That's all of us. We're all in the same boat. God's wrath was ready to come down on us. God takes Jesus, puts him on the cross, and Jesus on the cross takes all of God's divine wrath that was supposed to come towards you and I. And when we say that you've been saved, that's what we're talking about. So... God takes Jesus, put him on the cross. Jesus on the cross takes all of God's divine wrath that you and I deserved, and you've been saved from underneath of the wrath of God. This is all very good news, because we all deservingly deserve God's wrath. And so when you say that you've been saved, that's what you've been saved from, the wrath of God. And more so than going to heaven, more so than all of the benefits of uh, that, that being with Christ brings... Paul talks about being saved from the wrath of God more than all of those things. That that was where your joy should be, is that God was angry and Jesus quenched his anger. And so now you've been propitiated, right? So you've been saved because of the propitiation of Christ. That He took the divine wrath for you, and so he moved you over here. And then he didn't just move you over here, but Romans chapter 3 says that you were redeemed. And so he not only saved you from his wrath, but once he removed you from his wrath, he redeemed you. He bought you back. Okay? So he's taken you away from his wrath. And so he's removed you from his wrath, and now you're there, and now you're just out of the wrath of God, but he doesn't leave you there. He buys you back and brings you back into the family and makes you part of his family. And then that's not it. He doesn't take you from his wrath, bring you back and put you in his family, 
but he justifies you. He makes you right with God. And so what this means is that Christ, who is God's righteousness, if you keep reading in the book of Romans, Christ, who is God's righteousness, Christ comes on the cross, takes the wrath of God. He doesn't deserve it. You and I do. You're moved from the wrath of God. God buys you back. He redeems you. Then he makes you right. And how does God make you right? He takes the righteousness that Christ had and has, and he imputes it to you. This is what we call imputed righteousness. And so he's taken you from God's wrath. He's bought you back. Now you're in the family, and he makes you right. It's kind of like uh, you're sick, and he gives you an injection of righteousness, which is Christ. And so now you're not only out of the wrath of God, but you're in God's family. And you're not in God's family as a redheaded stepchild. No offense to any of you out there that may have red hair and be stepchildren. But you're, you're not an outcast. You're not an ugly duckling. You're part of the family. And so listen, gang. Zach, that boy is like a son to me. And if he picked up the phone right now, and he said he needed anything. I would move heaven and earth and I would get it for him. He called a weekend to go and said, hey, Pastor Bobby, I can come home for the weekend. Do you mind if I stay with you? Heck yeah, you can stay with me. When do you want me to come pick you up? It wasn't a, will I come pick him up? Oh, I got this going on. It was no, man. You want to come home? I'll drop anything I'm doing and I will drive down there and I will pick you up. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that if you're here, you've got any sort of addiction. Maybe you're here and you've got a heroin addiction. Maybe you're here and you've got some sort of narcotic addiction. Maybe you've got an alcohol addiction. Maybe you've got uh, any sort of other thing going on in your life. Listen to me. It's not going to get better on its own. It's only going to get worse. And if you don't actively do something about it, it's going to ruin your life and kill you. But just like last week when we talked about the prodigal son, you can always come home because of the cross. That's why Paul says in Galatians, he says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of that great stuff that happened in Zach's life, I didn't do any of it. God did all of it. I don't have a secret success story except for we need to love people and give them Jesus and he turns their life around. And if you're here and your life is an absolute wreck, we love you and Christ can turn your life around. And Christ doesn't bring judgment and he doesn't bring shame and all of that stuff. You see, when you were put on a cross, you were... Your clothes were taken from you and your arms were stretched out. And so there's no way that you can cover up any sort of anything. And he got nails in his arms. He got nails in his feet. And all of the shame that came along with it. And he deserved none of it. And brothers and sisters, when he was on the cross, he went there to take all of your sin. And he went there to take all of your shame. And he went there to, after he took all of that from you, to give him all of the good things that he deserved. He gives to you and I, and we don't deserve them at all. And that's why, no matter what happens, we can only boast in the cross, because he's the one that made it all possible. Without the cross, we are an absolute basket case. But God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son. To die on the cross for our sins. So that we could have eternal life. 
And brothers and sisters here, if you want eternal life, if you want freedom, it's only found in Christ. If your life's fallen apart and you need it put back together, Christ is the only glue that puts things back together. That story I told you, without Christ, ends with Zach stealing my TV and my car and all sorts of other stuff. But Christ is the one who made the whole thing work. All we did was try to be obedient to what he was telling us. And so when we come to our time of invitation, the invitation is clear. If you've been boasting in anything but the cross, I pray that you would repent and you would see how great the cross is and how it changes people's life. If you're here and you've got anything that you need to give to the Lord, I pray that today would be the day you give it to Him. And if you're here and you're suffering through anything, maybe nobody knows, maybe everybody knows, we want to be a people who don't judge you and who don't bring you shame, but we want to walk through life with you. And we want Jesus to change you. We don't want to change you. And so we love you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the lessons that you're teaching all of us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's going through any sort of sin or any sort of addiction or any sort of problem that life has brought their way, Lord, I pray that you would fix it through the cross. Lord, I pray that we would all see that the cross is the only thing that fixes everything. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to give their life to you, who needs to hand over the reins, maybe they've been making decisions and maybe they've all fallen apart. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would hand over and surrender their life to you. Father, I thank you for blessing us as a church family with Zach. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've shown him. Lord, I pray that you would continue building him up to be the man of God you've called him to be. And Lord, I pray that we would all heed your Holy Spirit when you call us to do things that don't make any sense at all. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for a hymn of invitation. Well, it's great to see you guys all again today. I hope that you have a great uh, Easter week coming up and, and the week after that also. Hope that you uh, are all able to have good visits with your families that may be coming into town. Uh, don't forget we're doing sunrise service. Uh, we're also having our uh, breakfast after the sunrise service that you will need to sign up for. There's sign-up sheets over uh, in the fellowship hall. And uh, don't forget, check our church email. There's all sorts of jam-packed information in there about things going on. And also uh, check the back of the bulletin also. Uh, remain standing for one second. Uh, actually, I'm going to let James have an, share an announcement real quick. All right, so if you were reading the church email and wondering what secret church is, it's Thursday at 5.30. And uh, James has headed that up. I think you'll really enjoy it. Just to give you a little more information, Secret Church is put on by uh, David Platt, who's the author of the book called Radical. He's also the president of the International Mission Board. Uh, and it's a jam-packed teaching session. And uh, this particular one is going to all be about the cross and the things that were accomplished on the cross. I think you would uh, thoroughly enjoy it. Call him, text him, come by and see him to get more information about it. Now, the last thing that's coming up this week, uh, many of you may have heard that uh, Lee Eubanks is going to be having surgery on Monday. And so, Jack Powell, I'm going to ask that you would close us in prayer. And I'm going to ask if you'd pray specifically uh, for Lee and the rest of the Eubanks family.